Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, July the 31st, 2022. It is currently 2.36 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Well, we've made it to the end of the month of July, and all I can say to the month of July is good riddance, (laughs) goodbye. What, What a crazy month. It's been a crazy month. It's been a crazy last, what, seven days, eight days. It's just been, it's been crazy and Everything that has gone wrong over the last basically, well, I guess, I guess technically five days, six days, I don't even know. It's all blurred together now, has led us to, well, a, a new series that I wasn't intending on starting, had no plan on it starting. In fact, I didn't even know I was starting it until, well, early this morning when uh, I, I, I decided to come up with a plan. What, what do I do today? And uh, here we are, and hopefully it will be beneficial. Now, just a quick reminder, if you haven't been with us, if you don't know what's going on, I tested positive for uh, COVID uh, this past week, and I'm I'm still testing positive for COVID as of yesterday. I'll take another test again tomorrow. Um, But hopefully I'm, I'm past it, but man, it was, it was a rough a very rough go. I, I can honestly say it was the worst I've ever felt with anything that I've ever experienced in my life. It was horrible. Um, and it definitely messed everything up. Uh, I, I was not able to do any live broadcasting. We didn't have church last Sunday. We didn't have church Wednesday. We didn't have church today. Um, so it's it's messed so many things up. So that that's kind of where we are. Uh, that that's kind of what's happened to lead us to where we are. And so I decided this morning, early in the early hours of this morning, okay, what do I do today? I know I'm not a hundred percent, but I've got to turn on the microphone and do something. So what do I do? What do I do? And so I just reached over, grabbed my iPad, opened up Pocket Cast, and said, okay, the first Christian podcast, there it is, hit play, boom. And I hear a program, I, I listen to about 10 seconds, I stop and go, that's, that's what we're going to deal with today. That's what we're going to, we're going to talk about that today. And that led us to, well, this series on disunity, the disunity of Christianity, the disunity of Christianity. And it's a very important topic. It's a topic that should bother everyone who calls himself a Christian. It should bother them greatly it should bother the, bother them and and a and a very i don't i don't even know the exact words to use it should bother you I, I the reason i don't know what words to use is because on one hand it should bother you but on the other hand you have to you have to move on and live out your christian life but you so on one hand you have to be bothered by it but you cannot be so bothered by it that it completely derails your Christian life and I don't know how to find that balance but I I know that it's required because there's no fixing the disunity within Christianity it's not it's broken it's there's no fixing that ever again that's ne- there's never putting that back together at the same time you can't just shrug your shoulders and go, well, it's broken. I can't worry about it. I'm just not going to, I'm just going to, you know, move on. You've got to be bothered by it. And the reason you've got to be bothered by it is because it contradicts 
things the Bible clearly seems to call for. For example, Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 21, he prayed that we would be one. In fact, he's very clear in how he explains this. I mean, let me just read it to you. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 21. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 21. Jesus prays this, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Uh, he, that's, that's a strong prayer, and it gives us an idea. We're supposed to be one, and clearly, they're, they're, we're not one. And then in Ephesians 4, cha- chapter 4, verse 4, we read of one faith, one baptism, one body. Well, Christianity is just di- so divided, so much discord, so much disunity, so much division, so much just, it's, it's a mess, and there's no way to get around that. You can pretend, you can try to claim that the disunity is not as bad as people make it out to be. All you're doing is just living, you're just you're just trying to get past the problem by denying the problem, and denying the problem does not help anyone. We have to acknowledge it. How many different, and you know, uh, we talked about this in, in part one of this new series. Again, wasn't really a plan even to turn this into a series, but th- this this is where we are. This is where we are. So um, we we talked about this morning that you know, there's not even agreement on exactly how many Protestant denominations there are. Nobody can even agree on that, which is just hilarious. We know that the infamous number that's sometimes cited by Catholic apologists is 30 to 33,000 Protestant denominations. Protestants get very upset about that. Like, that's not true. There's only 9,000 or there's only 8,000 or the only, only 9,000, uh, only 8,000. But the point is, there's not even agreement on that, which is just hilarious to me. There's not agreement on anything, but there's so much disunity. There's not agreement on baptism, the Lord's Supper, how the, the proper church structure, church government. Uh, there's not uh, an, uh, agreement on, uh, I mean, you, you they're not even really agreement on salvation, if you think about it, because you've got everything from uh, semi-Pelagianism, Pelagianism, uh, Calvinism, Arminianism. You've got, I mean, you've got all kinds of things just floating around in the quote-unquote Protestant world. There's just disagreements on everything, and that disunity should bother us, because how do you reconcile the disunity with what you see in John 17, 21, Ephesians 4, 4? And any other passage of scripture that seems to indicate that, what well, shouldn't we be one, but we're not? And how do we fix that? So the way we got to this is obviously we were, I, I told you I hit play on a podcast and that got us to the subject. And we're reviewing a little bit of this podcast. It's called Discover the Word. It's from a couple of weeks ago. And I would challenge you, they, they spent two weeks on the subject and we're listening to a little bit of their discussion and analyzing it and using it. And it looks like the way that they are trying, and it's very frustrating, it looks like that what they're attempting to do is like, hey, hey, the disunity, don't look at the disunity. Don't, 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 don't. When, when you, when you are, are actually, I guess they're telling you to look at it. Let me, let me, I guess this is what they're trying to do. 
I mean, they haven't said dogmatically, so I'm giving a little bit of my own thoughts here, but we'll see where it's going. It seems that their approach is more like this. You see all of that disunity? Go, go ahead and look at it, but you're not really seeing disunity. You're just seeing diversity. See, it's not, it appears to be disunity, but in reality, it's just diversity. And isn't it amazing? And isn't it beautiful? Now, what we have to do is we have to learn how, how we should live and act in that diversity. See, we're very div- diverse. Now, we just have to know how to conduct ourselves within that diversity. So in other words, they're going to, they, they basically call disunity diversity and then just focus on how we should conduct ourselves in the midst of that diversity. To me, it's, it's a complete denial of reality. But for them to pull this off, they have to say things like, hey, in my town, there's all these kinds of churches. There's Catholic, there's Lutheran, but refer to, to them all as Christian. And you're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So Catholicism is a valid form of Christianity? So Catholicism is a valid form of Christianity, and so is the Baptist church in your town. They're both valid forms of Christianity. Well, how is that even humanly po- possible? That, that's, they're, they're completely different claims of salvation there. That cannot both be valid forms of Christianity unless Christianity has multiple different ways of teaching people how to be saved, and there's not one unified message within Christianity. But somehow they're all right. It, it's it's an absolute foolish approach. It's illogical. It makes absolutely no sense. But it at least allows them to say, see, when you see disunity, you're not really seeing it. You're just seeing diversity. It's just playing a game. But what we're going to do is try to see what, what their ultimate approach will be. I mean, it, it appears this is the direction they're going. And we're going to see if we can find a way to take something from it and find something useful and something beneficial. All right. I hope I hope that is a decent enough review to keep everyone caught up. Now, they ended the last the last part of the audio we reviewed. And it's really weird the way they did so because they they they're like, okay, we have all of this apparent disunity. We have all of these supposed disagreements. We have all of these different churches. So, what's the solution to this? Well, Their argument is the solution is found in Romans chapter 12. And the first solution is this. This is the way I guess we can fix everything. And again, this just makes absolutely no sense, but okay. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And there, basically the, what they said was, was something along these lines. What we need to do, right, in the midst of the supposed disunity, what we need to do is we just need to become living sacrifices who are transformed. If we will be living sacrifices who are transformed, well, they didn't really tell us why. Does that mean then we all become one church? Does that mean all of the denominational division is gone? What happens? How does it, how does that fix anything? They didn't even bother to even offer a solution to that. They just said that this somehow or they didn't bother to explain how this is a solution. So what we're going to do is continue to listen. We're going to remember Romans 12, 1 through 2. Just just remember it. We're going to come back to it. 
because I think there's a way I can make this beneficial. I'm going to try. But we're going to just continue on with their discussion and see where they go. We'll see. So supposedly, I'm just going to write down on a notebook. Solution, I'm going to put Romans 12, 1 through 2. All right? I'm going to put that down. Um, they haven't explained how it works, and I don't think that they're. I don't think they're going to return to it. I think they're just going to continue to move forward. But we will listen to what they have to say and see if it really amounts to anything. So here we go. We we'll go back to the Discover the Word podcast. I would challenge you to subscribe to the Discover the Word podcast. Find uh, part the part one and part two of their discussion on why can't we all just get along, and uh, well, we'll see what they have to say. Here we go. Have you known a person, or maybe a child, or maybe growing up, who was labeled with the term a gifted person? Gifted. I've seen children like that, and you just say, oh, good night. They're way beyond their years. You know, and then you find they're very intelligent, Mm -hmm. and a lot of times in a very narrow way. In a narrow way. Yeah. Musicians. Mm -hmm. Often. Especially, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've definitely seen some stories recently about people that are really good at math, who are really young, Mm -hmm. which kind of blows my mind because mm-hmm. I wasn't that great at math even as I got old. Yeah. And sometimes there is a giftedness that goes with other diagnoses where an individual is super gifted in mindful activity, but maybe less so in relational, maybe even hampered relationally. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can go that way. It can. A lot of times the challenge is just simply social because they're so good they tend to get you know, channeled into a certain way of life and then they're separated out from other kids. It's amazing, but then they don't get a chance to be just normal. They right. don't get social integration no. at that point. Yeah. No. I want to kind of think about this concept of gifting. When we think about it, we may think about somebody who has abilities that are different from us and therefore separate from us. But I think in New Testament times, when Paul's talking about the concept of spiritual gifting, he's talking about qualities and characteristics and abilities that the Holy Spirit has given to individuals for what purpose? For building up the body of Christ. For really socializing one another. Socializing one another. And I think maybe just this concept of gifting and how we may ostracize people mm, could inform how we may have trouble getting along with people who are gifted in different ways than we Mm -hmm. are in our churches, in our communities. Yeah, which shows up in some of Paul's other letters, it right? It does. Like what are you Corinth- thinking of? I'm thinking of the Corinthians. Yeah. Okay. I mean, their gifts became a real source of contention yeah. because mm-hmm. they tended to either value the person who had the knowledge or the person who had the eloquence to express mm-hmm. themselves. A whole bunch of different gifts. And Paul really he entered into that, struggled with them. Kind of sounds like the church today, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, now, they, it, it seems like a massive turn because they, you know, they were discussing Romans 12, 1 through 2, to be some kind of supposed solution. There's no explanation or application in how that works. And now it's go- they, it looks like they're going to go in the direction, well, that within the body of Christ, there's all these different gifts and there's different giftings. And these giftings can become a point of contention, but we are not to see them as a point of contention because these gifts are there to build up the body of Christ. Okay, once again, what does this mean and how does this help in any way, shape, or form with the reality of the disunity? Okay, well, right now, within the Christianity, you can say we have all of these giftings and all of these great gifts, uh, people with great gifts, and all these gifts are made manifest within the church, but the church is still 
divided and there's disunity and there's not unity in any way, shape, or form. So what, 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 how is, is this a solution? Because I, you know, is, is the problem is, I, I don't, I don't know which direction they're going to go. I, 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 it's like they're, they don't want us, they want us to understand there's disunity, but they just want to constantly like, Hey, don't, don't see what's actually there. Instead of seeing disunity, see, see all the different gifts. No, like instead of seeing disunity, see diversity. Instead of seeing disunity, see different gifts. And then, and that makes it all better. And I don't know how that makes it better in any way, shape, or form, or it can even help you think that this this is a solution. But let's see where they go. Yeah, right. We get so focused on the pastor that can preach a great sermon that right. we forget there's a whole group of people in that church that are supposedly Christians. And I don't think any of us would guess at who is and who isn't. But if that's true, then all of them have gifts to bring. Mm-hmm. And yet... We're all gathering on a Sunday just to listen to one person's gifts. Good point. That's so Yeah, true. we tend to focus on the platform gifts because the celebrity mindset of the larger culture has found its way into the culture of the church. Yeah. There's a when I hear when I hear that kind of discussion right there. So what do you what do you, what do you, what's your choice or what's your solution? Well, you know, we just we seem to elevate the platform gifts. They get all the attention because of, of uh, the celebrity mindset has so infiltrated the church. So we should get together on Sunday and not listen to the pastor? Should we get together on Sunday and everyone just goes around and everyone stands up and gives a word and like, okay, okay, you say something and 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 you say something because all of these other people supposedly are, are gifted, so they should all speak up? Is is that is that the way it should work? Because I guarantee you that will lead to nothing but theological anarchy and chaos. So I I, I <laughs> well other people are gifted too. Okay. So so we just sit there and everyone stands up and everyone shares a gift. And and that that's the way it's supposed to work. Kind of a celebrity approach to things. Mm-hmm. So if what you do is platform worthy, yeah. somehow that's elevated above right. everything else. So then the opposite of that, and Daniel, I'm thinking too of what you're saying. I mean, there's a value there in the person themselves, and not only a value, but a gift. In Ephesians, it says the riches of the glories of the inheritance of the saints. It's talking about the inheritance. All of us are the inheritance of God. There's a richness there, but that richness, we don't see it often because we don't get to know people in a way yeah. where we learn what their gifts are and see what they bring. Yeah. But that's where that richness of being a part of the body of Christ comes from. But we don't often partake of it. And consequently, we may even label, judge, evaluate, push away certain giftings, maybe sometimes not intentionally, yeah. but sometimes deliberately because we rank gifts in that way. And Paul is addressing, I think, that very human tendency in Romans 12 here where we're focused some of our attention. And I wanted to pull this out as we're looking at a string of Beatitudes from the book of Romans. And how can we get along with each other when we're different from Mm -hmm. each other? We're different faith backgrounds. We're different 
socioeconomic backgrounds were different, colors of skin were different, ages, etc., different nations. How can we get along? And so we looked yesterday at being transformed as being this foundational quality. It is because we step into relationship with Jesus that we even have the ability to get along with each other. But today I want to look at another principle, and it's to be gifted, unapologetically gifted as we begin to interact with each other. Let's read Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Can we just go around together? Maybe, Mark, can you start it off and then Daniel then Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is in serving, this is verse 7, then serve. If it is in teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. It's a long list of a lot of different (laughs) gifts. And Paul's words are basically, if you have this, use it. Yeah. That's the gist. And use it for the benefit of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. And he uses an analogy of the body in verse 4 with many members, members that don't all have the same function. In other sections of Scripture, he also talks about, you know, if the eye is not the hand, you know, just a few yeah. verses earlier. We need to understand the complexity of the body. All of the gifts, all of the members are necessary mm-hmm. for the body to function. Yeah. That's the metaphor he's using. Right. What if we just don't get it? What if we just don't believe we're gifted? I'm guessing there's a lot of us who just look at everybody else and say, I don't feel like I have anything to give. And I think the reverse is common, too, of, well, you don't have what I have. Sorry, we go one way or the other, and so you're really not gifted. Yeah, I think both of those are the opposite ends of the spectrum. And I think sometimes the simple answer is, if they know Jesus, they're wrong. They do have gifts. (laughs) But I think so much of the time, we sense our own emptiness and our own frailty, or maybe a certain moment in life Mm -hmm. where we're just diminished. And maybe we have gifts, but we just don't have anything to give Mm -hmm. because of where we are in life at that moment. I'd almost say we could push it back even further. Not just if you know Jesus, you're wrong, but according to the very beginning of this whole book that we're looking at, in Genesis it says that everyone is made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, if we Mm -hmm. really believe that the image of God. Uh, none of this fixes this unit. I, I don't understand how this is supposed to solve anything. Okay. That this, this is very frustrating because on one, on one hand, they, they start off with a great, like this great concept they're going to deal with. Hey, do you perceive Christianity to be more unified or more divided? Well, critics say that that's how they started in, in part one or and. Okay, let me make sure I explain this. The way the Discover the Word podcast is designed is it used to be in like five different programs per week. And now they group them together in just one like 55-minute podcast. So, so in reality, what we're hearing here is actually part 
two, but in reality, the way they group it together now, this is all part one, and then the next week is part two. It's really, it's really hard to, to, to get my mind out of breaking these down the way they were broken down for years, okay? But in their earlier part of this discussion, they, they, they introduced the entire series with talking about the disunity and claiming that critics criticize Christianity for it. So they're like, okay, so in a sense, we're going to try to answer this. We're going to try to try to come up with a solution for this disunity, but their, their solution is just to deny that there's disunity. No, no, no. There really isn't disunity that that's just that's just it's almost like that doesn't really exist. We're just going to focus on some random verses in Romans twelve and apply it to the topic without really offering how it is a solution. Okay, great. Everyone has different gifts. Wonderful. Everyone should use those gifts. Wonderful. You still have what nine thousand different Protestant denominations. You still Christians can't agree on anything. So so no nope sorry. That that doesn't that doesn't work. That does that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And I would I, I would ask a very important question, and this is a very important question within the Protestant world. All right. If some people have the gift to teach, right? They have the gift to teach. Wouldn't part of that gifting to teach, wouldn't it come with a gifting of understanding scripture, being able to interpret scripture? So if someone has the gift of teaching, does their interpretation hold more authority and more weight to someone who doesn't have that gift? Now, within the Protestant world, you would have to answer, no, that it doesn't give them any more authority or any more right to interpret it or any more power or any more uh, argument that their their interpretation is, is more correct than mine. So that... And so in reality, what difference does it make that you've got the gift to teach? Who cares? You're not, that doesn't make you any more right than my interpretation. That doesn't make your teaching any better than my understanding. So what difference does it make that we even say that within the Protestant world? To me, it's, it, it just makes no sense. It's not like, hey, those are the people that have been gifted by God to teach. So we should listen to them because their interpretation and understanding would obviously, you would think theoretically, be more correct since they've been given the gift and uh, by God, they've been given given supernatural gift by God in order to teach. So they they should be able to explain the scriptures better than I can understand them. Well, we as soon as someone who supposedly has the gift of preaching or teaching disagrees with us, we're just like you're wrong. So it, the it, what difference does it make that we say the gift comes from God? It doesn't mean anything anyway within the Protestant world. Everyone believes that they can interpret the Bible, and everyone believes that their interpretation is correct, and if anyone else disagrees with their interpretation, they are wrong. And if your pastor disagrees with, if you disagree with your pastor's interpretation, you will, you will just go ahead and believe whatever you want anyway. You may end up causing trouble in the church, or sooner or later, you'll just leave the church and go find another church that agrees with you, or you'll start your own. That's what the Protestant world's been made up of forever. And so what, what different, so I don't understand how the gifting here would make any, any fix anything any way. I really don't. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to let this play out a little bit more. I'm going to try to find a way to offer a solution here. I'm going to try, I'm going to try. We'll, we'll see how far we can make this because there's got to be some kind of answer here. I think maybe there's, there's only one possible direction to go. But, I, but let, let's just see what, what they have to say. God is on each of us 
then who are we to say we're not gifted because God has already bestowed his likeness on us. That's a good point. Everybody has been given Mm -hmm. for the sake of one another and for his honor. Yeah. It starts from that breath, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So I love the way our conversation is going because we're like stopped at the end of our passage today. And now we're building back up to the beginning of the passage (laughs) today. uh, Because what Paul starts out in this little section we're looking at in verse three is for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Mm. We always focus on that, you know, don't get a big head, don't get fat headed. But really, I think what Paul's intention here is have an accurate understanding, which is exactly what you're all pointing out. Mm. Because you're made in the image of God, because you have a relationship Mm. with God, because you live in the body of Christ, you are Mm. gifted. Have sober judgment. What does that mean, sober judgment? It means accurate, mm-hmm. just an accurate sense. So not um, the worm theology. No, it, I have nothing to offer. <laughs> because really, you know, we understand that false humility is just another face for pride, mm-hmm. right? So it's not, don't think of yourself at all. Yep. Be realistic. Yeah. Recognize who you are, who God has made you to be, and what God has given you. Be okay with that. That's right. And he also talks about respond in accordance with the faith God has given you and with the grace that God has given to each of us. You know, it's different, just like you said, Mar. You know, and there are moments, Bill, you said, I don't may not feel like I have anything to bring in this season. Sometimes, Mar, as you said, I don't feel like I have anything to bring mm-hmm. in any season. But Daniel, as you said, God says we're all created in the image of God. I want to stop with this thought. When I get into the place where I think people around me don't have any gifts to give me or I don't have any gifts to give them, you know, in this place of smallness. One of the things that I'm learning is that I need to enter into my own personal need. Sometimes I can't see others' giftings or my own because I so defend myself from need. If I come out and say, I have a cold and my voice doesn't sound so great. Could you talk as much in this program as I do? (laughs) You know, which is what we're doing today because I have a little bit of a cold. I'm going to experience more of your gifting because I've exposed more of my need. I literally have no idea how any of this fixes anything about the disunity. They they start the series by acknowledging that there's all these different churches and and that, that none of this has offered anything. So let's try this. Let, let's see if we can, we can help. All right. Let's say we can help first. All right. And, 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 and we'll, we'll, we're going to go ahead. We'll listen to the next part. We'll at least listen to the next part and, and, and take it apart as well. Let's do this. Number one, I'm just going to write these down, right? Number one, number one, we have to acknowledge. We have to acknowledge disunity. We have, to, we have to acknowledge disunity. There's no point in pretending otherwise. We have to acknowledge that Christianity is so divided, so broken, so just the disunity is and, and disagreement and division is so great that we have to acknowledge that. This pretending that, no, no, don't see disunity, see diversity, is just nonsense. It's just foolishness. We have to acknowledge how how much disunity there is in the body of Christ. We have to acknowledge it. That's number one. Number one, right? 
We have to acknowledge it, right? Number two, um, let's see, what do we want to do with number two? Number two, we have to acknowledge, we have to acknowledge it cannot be fixed. We have to acknowledge it cannot be fixed. The only, and, and that any, we not only have to acknowledge it cannot be fixed, we, and I'll just add this with, with number two instead of adding a third part. So number one, we have to acknowledge the disunity. And number two, we have to acknowledge it cannot be fixed. There is no workable solution. All the ecumenical approaches to try to fix this always compromises truth. It, it destroys truth. It, 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 it just obliterates theology and doctrine, and it just says, hey, you, you know, somehow we'll just say, you believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. We won't define what Jesus. We won't define what it means to believe. We won't define God. We, we, we'll, we won't define anything theologically, and then somehow we'll pretend that we're unified, which is just, it's always just garbage because we pretend that we, we're unified, and then we go right back to our individual churches and our individual denominations and not work. To, it, it, it's just, ugh. There's no solution. The, the only solution is, has been the ecumenical approach, and the ecumenical approach, it, it, it's, it's just garbage because it destroys theological uh, distinctions. It destroys doctrinal uh, distinctions, and it obliterates truth. And so you cannot have unity at the expense of truth. Anytime you have unity at the expense of truth, then you've elevated unity over truth, and truth always, always trumps unity. I mean, you have to seek truth at all costs. So you, we, number one, we have to acknowledge the disunity. Number two, we have to acknowledge there is no way to fix it. There is no way to fix it. It cannot be fixed. It's that simple. It's over. It's done. And, and I, and you say, well, it, it has to be. Jesus prayed that we would all be one. Ephesians 4 says one body, one faith, one baptism. I, I agree, I, but there's no way to fix it. There's no way to fix it. And if you think there is, I guarantee you it's going to end up costing truth. If you have to take truth out back and put truth down in order to have your fraudulent unity, then I'm sorry, that's, that's not a solution. That's not a solution, right? So number three, here we go. We, we cannot, we have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge there's no way to ultimately fix the disunity, but we can do this. We can focus on our own. We can focus on, if I can spell anything correct here, on our own individual churches. This, this is not a, this is not a great solution. And it's, and I'm, I'm not even putting it as a solution because the solution, the, the issue that needs to be fixed is the disunity in the body of Christ. All right. The, the, the whole, what, however we want to define that within Christianity, let me say this, the disunity within Christianity, I'll use that terminology because that makes more, I think that works better. We can't fix that. But what we can do, right? And and I think this is very important. This this I'll, I'll try to explain this. Uh, I'll, I'll try to explain this. There are times 
within Christianity that we are presented with and confronted with a, a major theological, historical issue, and we, we know it's a problem, and it bothers us greatly. I'll give you an example. The, the subject of authority. Well, let me, let me explain. Now, for some Protestants, this is not an issue to them. They don't, they don't think it's a problem. But I think a lot of times if they think about it, they'll see that there's a problem. All right. So in a, in a sense, Christianity went through a, 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 a transition, an evolution I, 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 is a great way to explain it. There was, a period, there was a period of time within Christendom, there's no way to get around this from a historical perspective, where the church maintained authority um, and submission to the church, and uh, the church defined dogma, the church defined theological truth, the church was the one who had the authority, the church was seen as the one who could offer the uh, authoritative interpretation of scripture, the church is the one that could say, you will believe this, and if you don't believe this, you're anathema, you can look at the seven ecumenical councils, and that's the way it was, right? So the church really had the authority, they're the ones who, in a sense, interpreted the Bible, they're the ones who gave what we're to believe about this, this theological issue, this theological Theological point, this theological point, and you were to surrender and submit to the church, right? But uh, obviously, we know with the Protestant Reformation, the argument was is that the church had basically become corrupt. The church, you could not no longer trust what the church said because the church had corrupted itself and had, in a sense, that that authority was being questioned. And then ultimately, with the Protestant Reformation, it, the the authority of the church was denied. The the authority of the church was rejected and. The, the argument was where we're going to give the authority back to the scriptures. The scriptures were going to now be the authority, right? So it was like, nope, we're not going to listen to the church. We're going to listen to the scriptures. Scripture alone. Now that sounds good, but in a roundabout way, whether we like it or not, what happened is we rejected the authority of the church and we replaced the authority of the church. Even though we claimed that we were going to replace it with scripture, we replaced it with the authority of the individual, so it went from the institution to the individual. So within the Protestant world, ultimately what happened was everyone became their own pope. We, we went from one pope to hundreds of thousands of individual popes. And those individual popes could declare, this is dogma, this is truth, and if you don't believe this, you are anathema. And if you don't agree with us, we'll go start our own church and we'll start our own group. And that's what we've seen throughout the entire, since the Protestant Reformation, that's what we have seen over and over and over and over. We went from the, the authority of the institution to the authority of the individual. And now individual Christians, it doesn't matter. A pastor can preach something, doesn't matter. I don't believe it. I reject it. I'm going to do my, what, I, what I want. And sometimes this lack of authority can bother some Christians. And that's why some people go back to the Roman Catholic Church. They're like, well, we're, we're, there's got to be some kind of authority because you, everyone every, within the Protestant world, everyone thinks their interpretation is right. Everyone comes up with their own interpretation. It's argument, 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 argument. We need an authority. So a lot of times they get really bothered. And a lot of times you'll have a sometimes a Protestant who'll become very bothered by this whole authority question, but they don't want to go back to the Catholic Church. And so sometimes what you have to say is, okay, I agree with you. If you believe there's an authority problem, right, that every individual is running around like they're their own pope and their own magisterium, and that's a problem, well, and you don't want to go back to the Catholic Church, well, then here's the question. What can you do 
to act in a way that makes scripture the authority and you stop running around acting like you're the authority. In other words, sometimes you can't fix the bigger problem because once the, ch- the church's authority was rejected or removed and it became handed to the individual, there's no going back to fix that. There isn't, right? Because there's just, there's no, there's no going back to fix that. You may have a problem with it, but all you can do is focus on what you can do. You can focus on what you can do. So in other words, if you're so upset about the lack of authority, quote unquote, in the Protestant world, well, you, you either go back to Rome, but then you're, but in many cases, these, the, the individuals in the Protestant world who are so upset by a lack of authority have demonstrated their unwillingness to submit to the authority, even within a local Protestant church. They won't even submit to the pastor in a local Protestant church. So I'm like, so you want to go back to Rome? Are you really going to submit when you get back there? Because you won't submit here. So instead of fixing, trying to fix the big problem, how about you fix the problem right in front of you and look at what you can do in regards to your attitude about authority and what how you can conduct yourself in a way that may be more biblical than it currently is. So what I'm trying to say is sometimes we have these big problems and there's no, there's no easy solution, but we keep running around looking at the big problem instead of looking in the mirror going, what can we do? So let's think about, so I'm going to go from that. I hope that makes sense. There's a lot more there I could try to take apart, but just what I'm trying to demonstrate is sometimes there's these big problems and we get so caught up in running around getting bothered by the big problem. We don't look at what we can do. So let's look at this. We have to acknowledge the disunity in Christianity. Everyone can agree. We have to acknowledge there's no way to ultimately fix it. It's broken. So what can we do? We can focus on what we can do inside an individual church. I can't fix Christianity, but within an individual church, you can go, wait a minute. What can we do within an individual body to demonstrate spiritual unity? What can we do within a individual church to show unity and to eliminate division and and schism and all of the problems within an individual church. Well, if we just use the Romans 12 model, which this podcast is claiming is the solution, well, then every individual, instead of focusing on Anything else, instead of focusing on how messed up Christianity is, instead of focusing on how messed up everyone else in the congregation is, each individual needs to ask themselves, are they presenting themselves as a living sacrifice? Are they being transformed? Because if every individual within one local church is presenting themselves as a living sacrifice that is being transformed, that should bring about some some unity within the church. Because you have individuals who are offering themselves up as sacrifice. They're dying to self and they're being transformed. And then, if within those congregations, right, if every individual does not think of themselves more highly than they are, in other words, they don't make it about themselves and they use every spiritual gift and ability they have to focus on making, on helping other people, not on them, but helping on other people, then that should produce unity within a local congregation. So this is what we could say. We can't fix the disunity within Christianity, but within a local church, if every individual would focus on becoming a living sacrifice themselves, 
being transformed themselves, be, uh, maintaining humility, and focusing on using their abilities and gifts to benefit others instead of exalting self that would bring each local church into a greater sense of spiritual unity. I want you I want you to hear that again. If every individual within every congregation they would focus on themselves being a living sacrifice, don't worry about anybody else. They being transformed, they're not worried about anybody else. They maintain spiritual humility, not spiritual pride, right? Then they focus on using whatever ability, gifts, and talents they may have to benefit other people within the church, not to exalt themselves. The individual churches would be more unified. Now, it doesn't fix the ultimate problem. But it puts each individual congregation. See, it's, it's, again, it's like the whole authority issue. If you're like, man, there's no authority within the Protestant church. What are we going to do? There's no authority. You don't even, how about you focus on you submitting to the authority that's right in front of you? Instead of worrying about the lack of unity or the lack of authority within the Protestant church, how about you focus on submitting to the authority that's right in front of you? It's like, well, we need to go back to Rome. Well, you can, but you won't even submit to the authority in your local Protestant church. What makes you think you're going to go back to Rome and now submit to the authority of the Pope? You won't even submit to your pastor. In other words, sometimes we, I think we, we, we almost relish the problem so that we can just, you know, wring our hands and, 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 and yell and scream about the problem when in many cases we won't take the steps that are right in front of us that we can do. You can't always fix everything, but you, there's always steps you can take for yourself. I hope that makes some sense. Let, let's see what they talk about next. Yeah, good point to end that part of our conversation. We experience the gifting of others and the blessing of receiving when we admit our need. God gives different gifts to different members of the body, and We all have a contribution to make when we live in accordance with the ways that we've been gifted. And so, how can we all just get along? Well, be gifted. You're listening to Discover the Word and part one of our study called, Why Can't We All Just Get Along? Because from politics to personal relationships, it seems like people are as divided as they've ever been. And that includes the church. But, Paul has another reason in this letter to the Romans that Christians can get along. And we'll talk about it right after we take a short break. Okay, Paul. Well, I have to have a commercial. So, wasn't prepared for the commercial. I thought they were just going to go right into the next discussion, but they... Again, I, I don't like their new structure. Their, their, their old structure, I, I just like a 15-minute program released Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So it was easy to grab on to. Now this is just all, all, all five programs are just kind of grouped together into one 55-minute podcast episode. So in this book. She looks at so, the but they still have the like the outro, and then the, I guess the new intro coming in. It's really weird. But God is with you. Even when it so I'm um, wait till they're done with their commercial. I encourage you to get a copy of You okay. Are Not Alone. 
All right. When you go online to discover the word, I wish they uh, would offer some actual solutions, but we're, 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 I think we're, we're, I think we're trying to come up with some. I think we're trying to come up with some. Here we go. Maybe they're getting ready to come back in. Are they going to come back in? Now, let's continue this study in the book of Romans and discover another reason why Christians can get along. Even with Christians who are diverse in so many ways, there can be unity when we choose to be loving. Okay, I just want to get us going today thinking about what are some one-sentence kind of almost throwaways about love, some little ditties that you've heard all your life about love. All you need is love. Now, of course, <laughs> Bill. Of course, a true Beatle guy. Well, I think my dad adjusted the where God says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. My dad used to always say, if you love me, you'll do what I say. <laughs> yeah, how about this love wins? It's kind of a popular yeah. one, yeah. isn't it? I got one. I saw this on a T-shirt, and I actually wrote an Our Daily Bread article about it, and it said, love is for losers. And I just thought, man, this person's been burned. They've been badly hurt. Mm-hmm. They don't want to ever go there again. And this lady wrote back and said, no, that you don't know what that was about. It's about tennis. Because oh. love is zero <laughs> in tennis. Oh. And so if you have That's love, awesome. you lose. <laughs> oh. That's pretty clever. And, you know, it's kind of upside down with the gospel. So I thought you were going that direction. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a loser and I need love. And, you know, I think it's really easy to trivialize love. Love makes the world go round. You know, love never fails. These sayings are so familiar and they end up trivializing it. And I think actually our conversation has been surprising because what your dad told you, Daniel, Mm -hmm. and what you even came up with, Mart, Love Wins, those are kind of fresh new takes. And yet it's so difficult to unpack that. What does that mean in an everyday life? Yeah. And don't you find that a lot of people have just had it with love? I guess I'm sick of hearing you say, love everybody. Yes. I find that people have almost got a resistance. It's almost like we've been inoculated against what is probably the most important you know, expression of our life. It ends up really hardening you because you don't see anything authentic. Yeah. Well, for my generation, we have a lot of pressure to love everyone, but the way it's been defined culturally is to accept everything and not critique or not disagree or anything, but just to accept who this person is regardless of what they believe or think or anything. So even that has a different version of love than what we see in the And Bible. we really have to think that through, don't we? Because there is a sense in which you know, love is, the arms go out wide, yeah. Yeah. but not without discernment. Yeah. And I think you can love somebody and really have convictions about a principle of ethics or whatever, and yet your heart can just go out to them in spite of the fact yeah. you know, that they hold something. We don't have to be on our moral soapboxes all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing to do to just love. What does love look like within communities that share basic tenets of faith? What does love look like within a world that shares maybe some values, but not maybe yeah. any kind of tenets of faith. Let's look at what Paul talks about regarding love. And he talks about it in many places. And Mart has led us through an amazing series called Falling Into Love from 1 Corinthians 13. That's also hugely unpacked love for mm-hmm. us. But we're looking at Romans chapters 12 to 15 and several conversations as Paul 
applies the theology that he's laid out in the book of Romans. He applies it into life. Remind us what's unique about this group of Roman believers. There's several churches here. What's unique about that? Well, you had told us earlier, Lisa, that there was a period of time of about five years, I think you said, Mm -hmm. where the Jewish believers had been driven out of Rome by the Caesar. And so for a long period of time, the Jewish believers and the non-Jewish believers have been apart. And now they're coming back together again, and that gives some context to what Paul's saying. Yeah, and that has to explain then why Paul begins the letter the way he does, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you mean, Mark? Well, in the first chapter, he's talking about how the Gentiles, just how the world tends to kind of fall apart and devolve. And then in the second chapter, well, he's really speaking specifically to the Jewish mindset, Mm -hmm. people who think that because we have the law, therefore we're kind of better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. But he sustains that emphasis on the Jews and the Gentiles. He started out the letter saying it's the gospel, the good news is for everybody. Mm -hmm. I think your introduction the other day, the way you set up this whole series, I thought, you know, you're right. That's exactly what Paul is doing. Well, he really models it from the beginning of the book forward, although it's more theological. But now as we get into chapter 12, let's unpack love, you know, because he does model it. What is it supposed to do? And we're going to be looking at verses 9 to 21 of Romans chapter 12. Daniel, do you want to start us and then let's go around? Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Rejoice in our confident hope, but patient in trouble and keep on praying. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, so I don't, I don't think we'll listen to, that may be the last part we listen to. Again, I would challenge you, find Discover the Word podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Find Why Can't We All Just Get Along, part one and part two. You can listen to their entire conversation and discussion. Even though they introduce the subject of disunity, they really have no solutions to the disunity in the body of Christ. They really don't. They're not even attempting to really address that issue. It's just a weird like, hey, here's this topic and then we're just going to go to Romans 12 and just kind of take apart Romans 12. And I, I, it's like the, the actual topic is completely disconnected from what they're actually doing with the text. It's really weird. It's like, okay, we're going to talk about this, but we're really not going to talk about it. We're just, I, I, I don't really even understand the, the whole reason why disunity was brought up in the first place, because they're not offering any solution to the problem within the body of Christ, within Christianity, within the body of Christ. There's disunity. They, they seem to acknowledge it to some level and then just immediately just say, well, we're just going to read some verses in Romans 12 and pretend that we found a solution, but not even demonstrate 
I mean, they have to know that this doesn't fix anything. So let's go with our approach because I think our approach is a little bit better. Our approach is number one, we acknowledge how utterly disunified the body of Christ is. There's no way to get around it. That's a fact. Number two, we have to acknowledge that it cannot be fixed. It will not be fixed. And any solutions to fix it are fraudulent, fake, and and will ultimately destroy and undermine truth. All right. Number three, we have to focus on what we, our own individual, what we can do within our own individual churches, not focus on what everyone else in the church needs to be doing. No, just on you as an individual. What can you do within your church that you would be a move, a, a influencer, to use that term, you would be a moving force and bringing about a biblical unity within that local church, within that local congregation. We can't fix what's going on outside uh, uh, within Christianity at large. It's beyond our control. We can't do anything. And we can get upset. We can get mad and go, well, we, we need to be one. We need to be one. Well, d- great. You, I wish I, I wish there was a solution, but there's not. And if you think there is, it's just ridiculous. There isn't. Okay, so instead of getting so preoccupied about, about that, focus on what you can do right now. Well, here's what we can do, right? Go back to Romans 12. I'm going to use Romans 12. First, as an individual, you focus on presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. You focus on making yourself a living sacrifice and you being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You focus on your spiritual responsibility of being a living sacrifice and renewing your mind. You focus on the fact that you maintain spiritual humility. And then you focus on the fact that you use whatever ability, gifts, and talents you have for the good of others, not for the exaltation of self. And then you demonstrate yourself that that you demonstrate a, a... an, a, an attitude, a characteristic of love towards those within your own individual church. And it should look something like this. You let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. You're kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, honoring and preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, rejoicing in hope. Um, and, and patient in tribulation, continuing in prayer, distri- distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice. In other words, you take Romans 12, 9 through 21, and you don't worry about what anybody else is doing. You don't become preoccupied with anybody else, anyone else's failure in doing this. You don't worry about anybody else. You just ask yourself, are you demonstrating those things inside your local church? Nothing, nothing else about what's going on outside of your local church, your local quote unquote, I, I don't like the word community, your local, your local community. I'll use the word since everybody else does, but uh, it, 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 I, there's so many, I, I, well, we won't go into all of that. That, that, so Romans 12, 1 through 21, Romans 12, 1 through 21. That is what you focus on for yourself in light of your local congregation, your local church. You say, well, that doesn't fix the disunity. It doesn't, but it may fix, it may be a step towards fixing any disunity within your local church. It may fix that. Now, it's it's not going to be a guarantee. Put it this way. I'll take that back. It's not going to fix disunity within the local church. It will fix it will 
keep you from being a source of it, and it may allow you to be a help in preventing more of it. That's all you can do. That's it. That's all you can do. You can sit there and get mad and go, well, I just, I hate the fact that there's so much disunity in Christianity. I, I wish, you know, what, what do we do? What do we do? We, do we go back to Rome? What, what, do we go back to the Roman Catholic Church? What do we do? What do we do? What? You can sit there all day and get upset about what to do, 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 what to do. But all you're doing is just excusing your responsibility to do something. Again, it comes back to the whole authority thing that I was trying to explain. I don't know how well I, a job that I, I, I do of it, but we went from the end of, we went from the institution to the individual, and a lot of Christians look around and go, "Well, this is just crazy. Everyone thinks that they're the Pope. Everyone, it, it, this can't be the solution. So, so maybe we should go back to Rome. Well, then, okay. And before you run off back to Rome, how about you start submitting to the authority that's in your local congregation right now? Why don't you demonstrate that you can even submit to the the authority that's over you right now. So instead of worrying about fixing the bigger problem, how about you just focus on what you can do right now? Well, guess what? We can focus on the disunity in the body of Christ and go, we, we, we gotta, we gotta come up with a solution. Well, how about you? What are you doing right now to be the kind of Christian that, well, brings the most unity within your local congregation? There you go. It doesn't fix the 9,000 Protestant denominations. It doesn't fix it. It doesn't fix the fact that Christians can't agree on anything. It doesn't fix, it doesn't fix any of that. But it does give you the biblical direction on what you can do in the context where which you find yourself. I wonder how many spiritual issues within the body of Christ could be fixed if individual Christians would stop focusing on everyone else's issues and just focus on their own and worry to fix that. Just a thought. We'll stop right there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I hope... I mean, that, that gave us at least, uh, we, we at least found something beneficial in this, I hope. Acknowledge the disunity, acknowledge that it cannot be fixed, and focus on our own individual churches and our own individual responsibility and actions. Borrowing Romans 12, the whole chapter, the three different parts, living sacrifice, transformation, uh, well, it's more than, th I guess there's three sections of scripture there, but uh, so we would go, th there's a living sacrifice, trans personal transforma transformation, spiritual humility, focusing on using your gifts to b benefit others, not to exalt yourself, and then maintaining the attitude of love in all of the ways that are explained in the rest of Romans 12. All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see. Well, I, I, don't know, I don't know if we'll do any more on this. I don't know if we'll do any more on this, but uh, I would challenge you, subscribe to Discover the Word podcast, at least listen to the rest of their discussion, and you can let me know 
what you think about what they have to say. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.